Merry Christmas, church. Merry Christmas. Announcing that with a bang. Um, grateful to be gathered with you here this morning. Uh, I came across a, an image this past week um, that explains really well the, the season that we find ourselves in in, in the church. The church has uh, what we call, the, this is the, the historic church calendar, and uh, the, the four Sundays leading into Christmas is called Advent. It's a time of, of waiting um, for the arrival of, of Jesus. And then um, after Advent, we arrive at Christmas time, and it's, if you've probably heard, 12 days of Christmas. We, that is uh, the time after Advent, and then after Advent is Epiphany. And it's um, a time where we celebrate the fact that the, the, the Magi um, arrive it, to celebrate the, the birth of Jesus. And it's also a way that the gospel proclaims to us that Jesus, um, yes, he arrived for the Jewish people, but he also arrived for the world. Um, and then the calendar goes on uh, from there. So it's actually not just saying Merry Christmas to us, but it's actually also saying Happy New Year, uh, because it is the start of our church calendar as we go into this, or have been in this Advent season. Um, in this Advent season, we've been, uh, we started a series last week that the Pastor Larissa started, um, and we've been talking about the arrival. And each gospel writer in the New Testament um, reflects on the arrival of Jesus, and, and each one reflects on the arrival of Jesus kind of in their own bent, in their own personality, in their own um, flavor um, as, they, as they gather stories of Jesus and, and catalog those stories of Jesus. And then each of them uh, aims to, to portray a certain message or a theme over the course of their different books. So last week we started uh, with the book of Matthew and heard about the arrival of Jesus. Uh, this morning we'll be hearing from the gospel writer Mark. John Mark um, is who we believe wrote uh, the book of Mark. Next week, we'll be in the book of Luke and hear about the arrival of Jesus through the book of Luke. And then on Christmas Eve morning, uh, we'll be hearing from John the Beloved in John chapter 1. Uh, so church, I invite you now to stand with me as we read um, from, from Mark chapter 1. It'll be up on, on the screen. We're reading from uh, the NRSV. It says this, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Christ meaning the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank, thank you for the arrival of your son, Jesus. I thank you in, in him, 
where we see the promise of new life. Lord, we, we confess that as a people, we have been swimming in, in tainted waters. Um, and, and, and we thank you that, that in you is this call to be immersed in you, uh, to be surrounded, to be enveloped in your presence, for you to be the most real uh, thing, the reality that we swim in. Um, so, Lord, we pray, continue to pull us out of the muck and mire that we normally swim in. <laughs> give, her greater, give us greater awareness of the fact that your kingdom is at hand and that, that we could be people that, that reside in your waters, to, to reside in, in your kingdom. So, Lord, in every space of our lives, we say, Lord, have your way. Um, we repent of how we've defined reality. We repent of how we have been navigating, um, living in this world. And, um, Lord, we want to see, uh, I want to see this people be a people that know what it is to live in your joy to live in your peace, to live in your love, to live in your assurance. Um, may you be our truest reality. And so we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please feel free to have a seat. <clears throat> Mark starts with a bang. Uh, all the other gospel writers, when, when you read through their accounts, they, they ease you into the story. Like Pastor Larissa reflected on, is Matthew will start with his genealogy. Uh, John will start with poetry, and, and Mark just goes. And he just starts right away, and he just lets you know from the very first sentence, this is about Jesus. I'm writing you about Jesus, and what I want you to know, Jesus is the Messiah. That's what I want you to know, and that's what I want to inform your mind. And so what Mark does through, through, over, the, through over the course of, of, his, of his gospel account, what he wants to portray to us or is that Jesus is here and Jesus is the Messiah. But what, his, what he's aiming to do is Mark, Mark is aiming to tear down our expectations our understanding, our box that we might want to put the Messiah in. And maybe the prevailing question that Mark has as he brings forward to us is this question, who is the Messiah? Who is the Messiah? What's our expectation of him? How do we view him? What does deliverance from the Messiah really look like? How is this Messiah going to bring deliverance into the world? What posture will he take? And, and for, especially for the Jewish audience, they're, because they, they've been expecting, they've been waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, but they've been waiting from their own perspective, from their own understandings, from their own teachings. And, and so what Mark is, is attempting to do in his gospel account, when I would say what he accomplishes to do in his gospel account, is, is to portray to us, listen, you... You've got to be willing to lay down your own understanding of who the Messiah is. 
and how he will arrive. You've got to be willing to have your understanding of who God is be dismantled, be deconstructed. And what I hope to do, I, I believe that what Mark is, is conveying to us is what he hopes to do is, is to rebuild for us an understanding of who the Messiah is. And so it's no, it's no wonder that at the end of his gospel account, he has an unlikely person, a person who would be the enemy, uh, be seen as the enemy of God's people, a Roman centurion, standing before the crucified Jesus. And what he says is what Mark starts off with in, Mark, in, in verse 1. Truly this man was the son of God. And if you notice what Mark says in Mark 1, this is about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark is, is, is causing us to, to rethink. And so one of the major themes that Mark is introducing to us through his, his gospel account is repentance. And I think that one of the ways that Mark might define repentance is rethinking. You've got to rethink. Your, your mind, your imagination, your understanding of not only who the Messiah is, but how the world works, what the good life is, what kingdom you're giving your life over in allegiance to, you've got to rethink all of this. You've got, you've, you're, you're, your paradigm of the world is like, Margaret just seeks to like just flip things on, on its head and say it's the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand, and in light of that, there's a whole new learning process that we have to go through. And so your thought patterns, your imaginations, your, your, your habits, your attitudes, like everything in your life has to, has to be restructured in light of the fact that Jesus is here. He changes everything. And so Mark... Mark speaks with suddenness. Mark speaks with like, he speaks in a way that's just like, this is, and you'll even see it in Mark chapter one because what he, what he does here is he talks about, here's, here's hey, Jesus is, is here. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. And then all of a sudden he's talking about Mark. I mean, he's talking about John the Baptist. And it's like, Mark, wait a minute. You just said, hey, this is about Jesus. Let's start talking about John. And you go, what, what are you doing? It's just like this sudden, abrupt turn that takes place. And when he introduces John, you notice the way he describes him. He says, John appeared in the wilderness. It's like, where did he come from? How did, Mark's not concerned with it. He doesn't, he's just getting into it right away. He just says, John appeared in the wilderness. And Mark's just moving. Mark's going quickly. Mark's moving 
fast uh, through, through his gospel account. And, and it's this way to convey the, this, this, this understanding that says Jesus is here and the, the arrival of Jesus drastically changes everything. The fact that Jesus is here suddenly, everything is different now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Everything is new now. The world is different. Our lives have been changed. Everything has been flipped on its head in an instant because Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And so Mark, Mark, what he's, what he, what he's doing now here in this moment in Mark chapter 1, it's this, this place of saying Jesus is here. And so what does it look like to live in light of that? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the life of John. John teaches us what it looks like to live in light of the fact that Jesus has arrived. The the, the understanding is, I don't know about you guys, but November and December are, are the times of the year that I clean our house the most. It, it's, a, it's a season of, of, of mopping. It's a season of squeegeeing windows. It's a season of vacuuming. It's a season of doing dishes. It's a season of breaking out the ladder and climbing up into the rafters of the garage and pulling down bins and putting up different bins and, and putting up lights. It's, it's a season of preparation. And the reason that it's a season of preparation is because we are constantly looking over our calendar. Maybe for you guys, December, your calendar is full. There's different events that are going on. There's company parties that are taking place. There's different family gatherings. And when you come from a Mexican household, (laughs) Christmas Day can be filled with like five different Christmas parties. Because you got to go to Thea's and you got to go to Abuela's and you got to go to, right, you got to go to all of these different gatherings. And, and so Christmas is constantly this season of, of preparing for the arrival of these different events. And what Mark is conveying to us in his letter is this, listen, while you're waiting for the arrival of Jesus, you don't just wait idly, but you prepare. You're getting ready. And so that's what, that's what he's doing here in, in, in the man by taking us to John. He's saying, look, Jesus is, is coming, and, and as you wait for the, the arrival of Jesus, what you need to do, again, to that, that place of you need to rethink, you need to reshape, What John does for us, by portraying John to us, what what it does for us is causes us to stop and to evaluate, man, are there ways that I need to be thinking about my life when I think about the fact that Jesus is going to arrive? Are Are there habits that I've been embracing? Are there worldviews that I have? Are there thought patterns? 
Are there attitudes? What is it about my life that I need to be rethinking when I consider the fact that Jesus is here? It should change everything. And so there's three things that I want to highlight about John. John the Baptist is... Um, as, as we look over um, his story, is one is John is introduced to us as the preparer. Immediately what, what Mark does, he goes, right, Mark chapter 1, is, this, this is about Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and, and then he changes right away, and he says, there's this prophecy from, I believe, Isaiah, and, and there's going to be one that's out in the wilderness, and he's going to be preparing the way for the arrival of the Lord. And like I mentioned earlier, what, what Mark does is that he just flat out says, John appeared in the wilderness. And I think that drasticness is intentional by Mark. And the reason that I, the thing that I think that, what I believe Mark is doing here by just saying that John just appears in the wilderness is because for the, for the Jewish audience, what they would know is over the pages of, of the Hebrew scriptures is that God has a habit of drastically, suddenly appearing in the wilderness. What, what God does, well, you look at the story of Hagar. And as she's in the wilderness and she is fleeing from a home where she was berated, where she was abused, where she was used by others, and she was expecting to die, it was there that suddenly the angel of the Lord appears to her and says, Hagar, where are you coming from and where are you going? Suddenly, God appeared in the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that Hagar was able to confess, you are El Roy. You are the God who sees me. It was in the wilderness when Jacob was laying down and suddenly he sees a ladder where angels were going up and down, it was suddenly in the wilderness where he realized heaven was touching earth. It was in the wilderness as a man named Moses was tending sheep that suddenly there's a, there's a bush and it looks like it's on fire but it's not being consumed. It was suddenly in the wilderness. It was, it was a shepherd boy that was hanging out in the wilderness tending to a flock of sheep, minding his own business when the prophet Samuel appeared to his family and asks his dad, Jesse, do you have any more sons? because none of these sons 
they're not the ones that God is looking for. God has a habit of, of appearing in the wilderness. And it's a message to all of us. What does it look like to prepare the way for the Lord? What it looks like is conveying a message to humanity. God appears in the wilderness. And, 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 it's, and what it, what it is, it's a message to all of us that, 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 that compels us to see that our wilderness is exactly the place that God wants to show up to us. It's in the places of isolation. It's in the places of frustration. It's in the places of doubt. It's in the places of failure. It's in the places of depression. It's in the places of disease. It's in the places of rejection that God appears to us. And he appears to us suddenly. And, and so the message here is, is that, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand, and what needs to happen is, is you need to be prepared for the fact that God will arrive in ways that you do not anticipate for him to arrive. You need to rearrange your thinking. You need to have new expectation for where God will show up. And so what God will do is well, he will send a wild man and place him in the middle of the wilderness, and he will cause him to just stand out there in the wilderness shouting in the places of isolation, shouting in the places of desperation, shouting in the places of rejection, shouting in the places of failure, shouting in the places of hopelessness. Guess what? This is the perfect place place for you to be prepared for the arrival of Jesus. This is precisely the place that you need to be prepared. And what God does is he reaches down into the muck, into the mire, into the wilderness. He says, this is where I want to meet you. And the story that you've been telling yourselves about the trajectory of your life, the narrative you've been believing, it's time to rethink that. Because Jesus is here. Jesus meets people in the wilderness. And I think the point of application for us then is, is, is twofold. Is we need people in our lives that will teach us that we can expect Jesus to arrive in the wilderness. Like just, just, just make a habit of surrounding yourself with people who have experienced Jesus in extremely difficult places in their lives. When, when Larissa and I were in Olympia, Washington, we were working for a nonprofit. I've told this story before, um, but we've, man, the nonprofit went to making absolutely zero profit. 
and we eventually were going to have to shut it down. And we were at a, we were at service one. It was it was a Saturday evening service, and we were just beat up. We were dejected. We were we were just like we were volunteers at this nonprofit. We were barely able to get by in life. We were we had never been so poor in our lives, and now we knew that the nonprofit was gonna be closing and we were gonna go from volunteer, and we were gonna go from part-time to volunteer. And you can't pay your bills on volunteer pay. And so at the end of service, there was an altar call time for people to come forward for prayer and we went to a, a friend of ours who was on staff at the church and, and we just, we told him, hey, you know, Pastor Tim, this is what life looks like right now, tears in our eyes. And this like dumb smile came upon his face. <laughs> and his words to us were, I am so jealous of you. Because you were gonna experience the provision and presence of God. because, precisely because of the place that you find yourself in. God has a habit of meeting us in the wilderness. And we need people around us that can help us see that that can announce to us. The wilderness is the place God is most proficient at meeting people. It's in the darkness that he shines the brightest. It's, it's in our weakness that his strength is seen. I, my, I, I had a youth pastor that would just say this, never despise anything that brings you to your knees. God meets us in the wilderness. But here's the other point of application. Listen, we're called to be people who embody the kingdom of God's arrival in the wilderness. We're called to be a people that are like John, announcing to others that God can meet you in the wilderness. And what that looks like is that we share our weaknesses, we share, we, we walk with vulnerability and humility and transparency with others. We are quick to, to share with one another, like this is, this is where I am weak and this is how God has met me. Like we, we, we're meant to embody to the world around us, God, God has met me in the deepest and darkest of places. And, and I believe he could do the same for you. Here's the next thing that we learned from John. John, well, John, what does it look like to live in light of the fact that Jesus is, is here? John was the baptizer. It's just become his name. You would think about the fact, like, before, before this moment in his life, I wonder what John was called. 
You ever think about that? Like, was he John the carpenter? Was he John the accountant? Was he, like, John the McDonald's manager? What? He, he, but, it, but it conveys to us, this is what he was all about. God's arriving, and so this is just, this is who he is. Man, Lurse and I have the privilege of raising a boy named Justice. And it is so fun to see how his personality, his character, is just so tied to his name. Fairness, what is right, what is good. I mean, at five years old, he, he decided that he was going to raise money for slaves as, for his birthday. And, he just, and so we filmed this video with him, and he, we just, I still have it on my phone. It's just Justice at, at four and a half years old, and he's going, I, I, my name is Justice, and for my birthday, I want to raise money to free slaves in the world. What does it look like, the fact that, that, that Jesus is going to arrive? For John, he baptized. That's what he did. That's what he was about. It's so much so that people just, we now call him John the Baptist. And what, is, what, is it, what does it mean that he was baptizing people? I think that there's, there's two things that I want to convey in this, is that one, what he was announcing to the world around him is Jesus is here, and what that means is, is it's time to live a new life. It's time to live differently. He was a man shouting out in the wilderness, it's time to make the path straight. And, and one of the things that, that, that is meant to be conveyed over, over this season of Advent is this, is that, it's, that I, the church has beautifully and wisely crafted our calendar in a way where we have placed Advent at the, the darkest time of the year. It's when the sun shines the least. And it's, and it's the coldest time of the year. And the church has intentionally done that so that way we, we, we don't ignore, we're not ignorant to the fact that we live in darkness. We, we, we live in a dark and desperate world. And we are a people who are also in a place of darkness. And the call to us is recognize who you are. <laughs> recognize the state that you live in. Like recognize, recognize the, the brokenness. Like Advent is a place where we stop and, and we, we fully acknowledge our places of need, our places of de desperation, our places uh, of, of brokenness, our places of failure. We don't hide them away from the Lord, but we say, God, here, here's, here's the, the full place of brokenness that we find ourselves in. There's this quote from um, Tish Harrison Warren in, in her little book, 
called Advent, where she says this, in this season of bright sadness, we notice the ways that sin entangles us the places in our lives and communities that resist bowing the knee to this coming king. Another year has gone by and we still live in a world in need of mending. We still have sorrow. Women and children still find they are not safe. The strong still prey on the weak. Creation still groans. Humanity is still not what it should be. We too, as individuals, are not as we should be. We too need mending. We have our own idols, addictions, pettiness, conceits, and deceits. We have given and received wounds. We carry dark memories and painful scars. And so John's in the wilderness announcing to us, come into the waters of repentance. Come into the waters of repentance. And what, what baptism is, baptism is, is meant to signify a death and a resurrection. Baptism is meant to signify the fact that, that we are saying, God, there are so many parts of me that need to die. But I also want to come out of the waters new. I want to walk in newness of life. The other thing that I think that John is, is conveying in, in this, this love and this desire to see people baptized is this, is that he wants to see people immersed in the presence of God. That word baptism really just simply does mean immersed, immersion. And, and, and you see this in the way that, that John celebrates the fact that he says, listen, there's coming one who's after me who's greater than I am and, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what John longs for the people around them is, is for them to be immersed, enveloped in the presence of God. What I love when you look over the, the, the story of John's life there's this other moment in the book of John. And in the book of John, it conveys that not, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, John the Beloved, is writing this, this account about John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer is walking along, and as he's walking along, his disciples are with him, and John looks up, and there's just this, there's, there's this level of joy, there's this level of excitement, there's this passion that, that gets portrayed through the way it's described, and, and he just he just shouts out, look, and, and, he's, and he sees Jesus in the distance. He says, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the very next thing that happens is that John's disciples leave him and go start following Jesus. Can, can I confess, I'm a jealous person. Like that, that moment, I can confess, would be really challenging for me. Is because I would, I would have a sense of, of joy, of fulfillment by being surrounded by people that I'm discipling 
And then, and then to be like, look, there's Jesus. And then for them to go, like, peace, John. And then just go start following Jesus. Like, there would be this level of, like, like questioning my calling, questioning my significance, questioning. But for John, like, it was exactly what he wanted to see take place. And what you constantly see conveyed through the life of John is that he really was this man that was just like, like, what I want most for you is not to follow me, but to follow Jesus. To be immersed in him, to fall in love with him, to be all about him. What I, like, what I want most for you is not to listen to me, but to listen to his voice. To hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you, like, that's what it's about. And John demonstrates that for us. Like, he, he was the baptizer. He was the one that was saying, get, get plunged into the fullness of who God is. My role, my job is just simply to say, here's the waters, go get into it and swim. The last thing that I see conveyed by Mark about the life of John is that John is the stupor. I think I made the word up, but <laughs> at least the red squiggly line on my keynote said that it was wrong. <laughs> um, Jesus said of John, he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. And Jesus also told us that you want to, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must become the servant of all. John sees Jesus and his words are, I am not even worthy enough to stoop down and untie his shoes. when I think about John, I've always seen him as like a really prickly guy. Now you see the description of him, right? The way that he's described, he's, we he's walking around, he's wearing camel's hair. He's got like just this, we think of a leather belt and we think of it today as like high fashion, <laughs> Right? We think of it as like, oh my gosh, a leather belt cost $100. Like for them, it was this just strap. <laughs> like he's walking around in camel's hair with a strap of animal skin around his waist. He's, he's reaching into logs and pulling apart decayed wood so that he can find his lunch. Right? He's like, he said, he's eating locust and wild honey. He just comes across as this really jagged, like wild man. Right? And, and, and not only that, it's not only his exterior, but it's also what he's doing. He's going around and he's yelling at people. 
He's going around and he's saying, it, who, wants a, who wants a friend that's just constantly telling you, you, you need to repent? Like, he's just going, he's just, he's just, he's yelling in the wilderness, it's time to repent. You're crooked. And, and listen, what history has told us is humanity has this aversion to prophets. Right? Like we kill them. That's our MO when it comes to prophets. And so for John, like I just I just imagine him as this really prickly character, this boisterous kind of man that's walking around that's just really tough. We we quite a few years ago had this janitor named Calvin. And there's some people in the community that think about Calvin and you immediately think about the juxtaposition of Calvin. Right? The, the like, he was the most prickly guy that, that has, has scolded me. He has yelled at me. He, he, he has rebuked me. I'm not exaggerating, like, there has been so many moments with Calvin where just like, I was like, I don't know if I want to enter into the room because Calvin's there. But he was the most soft and affectionate man. He was the most humble man. And he took care of this campus. And he believed he was serving Jesus in every single room that he stepped into. And I think that when you think about John the Baptist, I think that if you were to spend time with him, even though he had this extremely rough exterior, I think that if you spent time with him, you would probably find the most soft and endearing man that you have ever hung out with. Because even though he has this coarse exterior about him, when you draw near to him with, through the writings of, of Mark, what you hear him saying are these extremely endearing, humble, lowly words. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie the sandals that are on Jesus' feet. What does it look like to prepare for the arrival of Jesus? It looks like stooping. It looks like falling on our faces in worship. And saying, God, I don't get it. I don't get why I'm privileged to be here. I don't get why I get the honor of being in this space. You, the creator of the universe, perfect, majestic, mighty, holy, beautiful, powerful, kind, good, righteous, faithful one. 
Though I'm nothing like you, you call me friend. Just get lost in the wonder of it. I don't mean this as like a slight on others. But as we've been gathered here this morning, there have been countless cars driving down Murray Ridge completely unaware of the presence of God. How did we end up so privileged that we get to be sitting here in this hidden space alive to the reality and presence of Jesus here in the world. Just get lost in that for a moment? Why me? Why? Holy Spirit, why? Why did it, why? Why do I get to be here? Why do I get to call you friend? Why do I get to serve you? Why does my family get to know you? Because there's millions and billions of people around the world that don't know you. But I've been able to taste and see and experience that you're good. We live in such a place of privilege and honor. We... We get to know Jesus. And I think that the, the daily response to that is, is a place of just saying, God, help me to, to rethink. Reshape my imagination. If you need to tear down the ways that I'm viewing the world, if there are areas in my life that I need to repent of, if there are habits and attitudes that it's time to let go of, if there are thought patterns that need to be restructured, I want to let go of all those things. And I want to I want to live in a new way. I want to live in a way that is that is aware of, of you being present in the world around me. I want to live in a way that that really truly believes that you're here and you're at work in the world around me.
Again, and again, I think from Mark, Jesus is here, and what it means is repentance. What, and what that means is, is like, it's, God, it's time for me to rethink how I'm viewing everything. And, and as I do that, I think what I'm going to constantly discover is that your kingdom is better. Your, your ways are better. Living with you, like, that's the better way. Church, would you stand with me? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue to moving upon, move upon our hearts and imaginations in such a way this week that we are, we find ourselves constantly contemplating Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you, would you continue to do that good work in our lives where you are constantly turning our focus to Jesus? To think about what it, would, what it means to live with the privilege of calling Jesus friend and brother. Holy Spirit, reshape our hearts and our thought patterns and our habits and our attitudes. Um, faithfully, faithfully continue to redeem and restore and sanctify every part of our inner being. Lord, for any, for any brother or sister in this room that have been, have been living in the wilderness recently, that have been, in a, have been in a difficult season of life. Would they, would they see your strength in their weakness? Would they see you lifting them up right now? Lord, visit your people. Visit your people, Lord. Let's pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.